Hey everybody, welcome again to the Tradescast. It's a podcast dedicated to everything in the world of entertainment for your enjoyment. My name is Jeff Bob. And I'm Tom Moss, and this is the Tradescast for the week of September 5th. It's Labor Day, Jeff. Yeah, I gotta tell you something. Um, although I, throughout all my childhood I probably didn't watch a ton of it, uh, I really miss the idea that the Jerry Lewis muscular dystrophy telephone is on television. Do you miss it at all? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't your thing, your cup of tea, Tom, but do you miss knowing that it was there? No, but I got to tell you, uh, growing up, I never missed. I I was so upset when I had to go to bed on uh, Sunday night and and miss any of the Jerry Lewis telethon. It was a huge event. I, I was totally into the I, we had carnivals in our neighborhood we were we went door to door we we did the the whole thing so i was all in on the jerry lewis telethon probably lost track of it as i um you know went went into adulthood um but until you started talking about it just now i had forgotten that it was even uh uh, 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 uh forgotten that it was even labor day and that it was it was missed it was well, you know people don't, people don't talk about it much anymore you, you know he got ousted in 2011 in 2010 he did it and he was uh, it was about the third or fourth year in a row where it was quite embarrassing um he did a lot of embarrassing things and then they decided he was going to be able to come on for basically the end and maybe one other time and he got angry and he quit but from that point forward you know they made it six hours and three hours then two hours and then after 2014 they didn't do anything they just said, nope, this isn't a way to make money anymore. But I, I can't understand. When he left, they had a hundred. They still had 190 stations carrying it, um, and their tote board was ending at around $60 million. So I'm not sure why in the world you would stop. I would have let, let Jerry Lewis come on there and make a fool of himself till the end of time. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not completely sure what that tote board ever really represented, you know? True. They they did make a lot of money. A lot of it, more no doubt. a big chunk of it from firefighters, actually. But um, uh, but anyway, it it was part of our childhood. It was part of uh, our childhood and our parents' young adulthood, really, because um, it it ran for for forty uh, something years. So anyway, just thinking about that on Labor yeah. Day. Um, speaking of making fools of themselves, you know, there was a story about Melania Trump. Um, um, su- you know, lodging a lawsuit against the Daily Mail, um, and I, and I wanted to mention this because I, I know it was something that interested you, but also I, I still don't think people understand libel very much, especially in in this country. Um, it's a little bit easier when a libel suit some places, harder others, but. Um, in America, to win a, li- a libel suit, you not only have to prove that something is defamatory and untrue, but you have to prove that the publication had no idea that it was untrue. It's very difficult to win. That's if you're a known person. If you're an unknown person, it's a lot easier. This is why celebrities don't sue publications, by the way. Most people don't know that. They don't sue because it's very hard to prove a publication doesn't know um, something was untrue. Uh, I know how a lot of people felt about the Hulk Hogan thing in terms of like, oh my gosh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Was it really worth um, ending uh, uh, Gawker? But uh, on the other hand, 
I, I do wish that some of these um, journalistic organizations would be taking a task when they print things that are untrue and defamatory about celebrities. Uh, I'm not saying that they can't um, have some wiggle room if the story is important, but Melania Trump is not an important person, okay? She's not Donald Trump. And if you call her an escort and she wasn't an escort, I think you should get in trouble for that. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think the interest in this story is uh, is is purely prurient, right? I mean, there's no news value to whether she was or wasn't an, an escort. Uh, I think what's interesting here, you know, I think we got to, you know, we have to defend the First Amendment, uh, uh, you know, at at all at all costs. You know, I mean, I, I even the most despicable speech should be protected. Um, you know, well, I should say anything that we, that we might think is despicable, others others might not. Um, but I think this is something different, you know. And I think it's um, it's not it's not if there, there there's very little news value there. It's entirely prurient. Um, and furthermore, I mean, I think it's interesting that the Daily Mail um immediately retracted, and so that doesn't even give much credence to the fact that it it it, it is it is true. Um, British tabloids are notorious for um, not letting the truth get in the way of a good story. Uh, I think this might be an example. What's interesting, Jeff, is that um, this lawsuit against a British tabloid is being brought in a Maryland court. Yes, and I did think that was really interesting. Um, the, you know, Donald Trump said something many months ago, and unfortunately because of the way he says stuff and pretty much everything he says, it, it came out in a way that um, that basically screwed up his whole point. But he was talking about libel and those kind of things, and he basically said, when I'm president, we're going to try, you know, we're going to stop this thing. And what it came out sounding like was, no one can say anything negative about me. Because um, that's kind of how he said it. But I, I've always been someone who thinks that we've gotten too far away from this, we can print any lie about a celebrity that we want, and just say, oh, we thought it might be true, and, you know, sorry. And I, and I just think there should be a little bit more responsibility among journalists uh, these days, that if you're going to print something that you think might be untrue, you better have some kind of evidence. You know, something not just, oh, a maid told us at, at a hotel. And it should be about something important. Like, if there is something about Donald Trump or, or Hillary Clinton that a, a respectable journalism organization thinks is true um that's fine but um i get that especially because they're politicians but we don't need to be we don't need to go after celebrities just because they're famous i just think it's kind of ridiculous um, well i mean if we if we we you know if we set trump and and clinton aside because of the passions that uh that that might be um engendered for either at this point and just think about your random celebrity uh, and the truth value of any statement that a newspaper makes against him. I mean, I think the problem, Jeff, is I don't I don't disagree with you in principle, but I think in practice it's going to be very difficult to um, to implement any sort of law against this because people end up doing what what we see. Now, bring Trump back into it. What you see Trump doing is not reporting on the facts, but reporting on the reporting, right? And so. Um, you know, what if, what if the mail had said, you know, several, several people, rumors abound about, about this. I mean, you're reporting on rumors. Is that the same as reporting on fact? And, but the effect is the same. Right. It's really challenging. 
I guess I just like to see a little more responsibility going on. You know, it's funny because I don't know if you saw this story, but Amy Schumer issued an apology because of something that she said about Odell Beckham Jr. And I always think this is interesting because comedians seem to get an incredible amount of leeway. She got a lot of backlash because she she talked about uh, sitting next to him at this function and how she thought he was eyeing her over and what he was thinking. And she... She her first apology was, "Hey, I was just being funny," um, and then she gave a, a real apology. But I thought that was interesting that she at least issued an apology because I think a lot of comedians think, "Well, I'm I think I'm funny, so I can say anything I want." And in, what I've learned is that in print, it does not come off the same as when you're on TV. No. <laughs> so I no, think- and I read the transcript of that, and and um, you know she was being. She was being hypercritical and, and making a lot of assumptions uh, about him and what he was thinking. I think she owed him an apology, but I mean, you know, th- this is you know, this is all these little spats get played out in public, and it's at some point just not very interesting. Right, that is true. Uh, turning to something that hasn't been interesting for a long time, primetime TV. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm excited to see that Kristen Bell uh, is um, is back on TV. I didn't know if she would go back on TV, to be honest, because she is a, a full-blown movie star now. Um, Ted Danson is you know, a full-blown TV star, and he has been for a long time. Um, but they're going to do this show called The Good Place. And uh, the New York Times wrote a story that I thought was kind of interesting, uh, basically saying that for the first time in a while, we are seeing a few shows that, that really try... That, that, I, I guess I would say they look like basic cable shows, where... They are really trying to break the mold and trying to do something that's a little out there. Um, and do you think that they have finally started to reach this what-have-you-got-to-lose moment? Not that they're not doing some standard comedies and dramas. That's still the bulk. But do you think they're finally saying we've got to try something I think they're definitely saying that. The question is whether it's going to be too little, too late, and whether it's going to be like, uh, you know, your your mom at the disco. Um, you know, so they've they've taken these kooky premises, uh, which I don't know. I mean, I think the assumption is that these are working on on basic cable or on the uh, or even on premium premium cable um but i mean what are what are the what are the templates you know some of the kooky comedy i mean i guess the template is parks and rec maybe the office uh, a few other things that are that are a little bit out there um but i don't know what the i mean i think one of the concerns with the good place jeff is that it's a is it one joke and how are you going to sustain this i mean this is the um uh the problem that uh, what's the name of the last man has had uh, over the last couple of seasons. It's been renewed for a third season. Um, is, is that the right title? Did I get that right? I believe that is correct, yeah. but I certainly know the show you're talking about. And uh, yes, and their um, their third season could easily be their last. But I would rather they try a show that is interesting for two years, as I think you would, and then runs out of steam than a show that doesn't try anything. Well, sure, of course, yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, but. I don't know. I mean, what's? I mean, you know, I guess you can also look at Veep, and that's that's um, sort of one joke, but it's it's all about the writing and the characters. So I, I've said this many times before: if the writing is strong and the characters are good, then it almost doesn't matter what the premise is. I would agree with that, uh, and and these do seem more like premise shows, but they do have um, they do have legitimate 
um, um, creators, meaning that they've got people who are uh, um, have good track records. And so I think the idea that they're giving real quality uh, creators some some wiggle room to try something different, that's a good sign. That's, that's what we call the HBO model, you know what I mean, where you give a good showrunner room to try something. So, well, and Netflix is the, the perfect example. I mean, some of the shows come out of the box with a two-year deal. Right, absolutely. So I'm hoping that's the case. This Son of Zorn show that's going to be on Fox could be very, very, it could go very wrong. It's basically like He-Man with live action people it could go very wrong. But you know, another, uh, another thing that I that I think, and maybe I'm, I'm sure you know more about, about this than I do, but I wonder about the network model. It seems like premium cable and Netflix and Hulu are comfortable with the limited series. That network TV is not comfortable with the limited series. Is that is that fair? Yeah, except for summer, which again, that's a phenomenon that's still only a, basically a decade old or so. Where summer does have there are shows that are just on in summer. Um, and that, that used to be a thing that was not in existence. And then it was just game shows and stuff. But there are full-fledged shows that are just summer shows. And that's kind of the beginnings of this. So maybe we'll see more of that. Um, I think it's the way to go. And I think they're starting to see that. So I'm hoping anyway. Because I think it, it, it definitely gives rise to more TV. You know, um, um uh, Larry David's coming back on, right? With and, a new season of Curb, right? Right. Curb Your Enthusiasm, first time in five years or six years or whatever it is. And um, that's because he's got a home that basically said, you know, we like what you do. And if you want to do it again, come on back. And, kind of like the Louis C.K. has the same deal. Right. And Louis C.K. said he might do it again or might not. Amy Schumer said she might come back or might not. You know what I mean? And if you've got that flexibility where a group says, well, we'd love to have you on forever, but we have the flexibility to just put you on. You know what I mean? If you're a network, it's a lot of, okay, where are you going to go? When are we going to put you? How are we going to promote you? And if they can get more nimble, um, then we might see more of this. So it's kind of cool. They're uh, they're still tied to this this um, sit down and watch TV at a certain time uh, model, right? I mean, they seem to not be able to get away from that. I mean, I know there's some evidence that that uh, they're thinking more digitally, but right now, um, you know, they still have the big big chart uh, on on the wall behind the uh, above the credenza behind the CEO's desk with all the time slots, right? Right. At least I assume so. That's how it is in my dreams, Tom. That's me too. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but speaking of outside the box, Big Brother um, is going to have a, a digital version, um, and I think that, of course, it's the perfect show for that. I don't watch Big Brother. I don't have any interest in it, but the idea that they'll have these 24-7 live feeds and, and that there's all of this extra stuff that they can do, don't you think it's kind of the one of the good shows to be pushing this boundary of um, these network shows that show you how much more you could do with a show. I mean, I think it's the perfect the perfect show. I mean, it's um, there. There's all sorts of extras. It can. I mean, it's it's so highly edited in the hour version. I mean, I assume there'll be an opportunity to check in and and have live feeds of the 
of the house. I mean, nothing sounds more boring to me, but I guess a lot of people are into it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I don't know what the... I don't know what the future holds for digital content of of this kind. I mean, we've seen lots of digital content of of um, a variety of other kinds over the last couple of years, but I mean, I think this is this is uh, some slightly new territory. Although, you know, it kind of harkens back to the to the '90s. I mean, that was a thing, right? I mean, people put webcams in their houses and just you know watched. Uh, you know, op- opened up their lives for people to watch, and that was uh, maybe the first example of this kind of pro, you know, programming. I'm making air quotes. Yeah, you know, I I I bring it up every once in a while. Most people don't remember it, but uh, whatever it was, uh, gosh, twelve years ago or something, the Drew Carey show did a special uh, episode where you could watch the show on TV, but if you went online, you could see extra things that were happening while they were doing the show. And it was an I mean, I remember just being blown away. Like, how are they? This is incredible. And I and and to that to from that day, I always thought, why aren't more people doing this? Why aren't more people making whole worlds around shows that you actually could interact with as you're watching the show? And I think we could see more of that. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you'd have to watch it, uh, you know, quote live when it was being broadcast, not live, but you know what I mean. Um, but I'd love to. I, I, the more you can get these worlds, these shows, to, and to be a whole world of extras, that's that's. I think it, then you would get someone to be really involved in your show. I think that's the way to go. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I think there's a certain novelty factor that will be appealing about some of these concepts, but ultimately. I think it'll be just that, just like we've seen 3D and, and um, some virtual reality. Uh, I know we're getting to that in a minute. Um, but I but I think ultimately, Jeff, I think people want narrative. I think people want a story. And I think, I think you know, once the novelty wears off, people will be right back saying, okay, but, but what story do you have to tell me? You might be right. And speaking of which, Jesus VR. Jesus um, is back, Jeff. Yes. Um, Jesus is back. It's the it's the bloody Jesus, the Mel Gibson <laughs> Jesus, um, but not not actually Mel Gibson Jesus. There is a new film um, about the story of Jesus, and it has premiered at the Venice Film Festival. And the thing about this film is, it is a full virtual reality film. You put on the helmets, you can see three sixty. Um, I, I guess early reviews are not uh, stellar on the movie, but that I think is almost beside the point because um, this was a legit feature film. Um, do you think we are getting closer? We're getting closer now, where we you will go to the virtual reality lounge and they'll have really, really high-end virtual reality machines maybe, and you go and you see... Um, a film that hasn't been released to your virtual reality, you know, pod yet, and you go in and you watch a movie like that. Can that happen? Sure. I mean, I think it it can happen. I think uh, I think it will be difficult. I think there's some challenges. Um, virtual virtual reality is not projected, right? I mean, it it is by definition an individual experience. Is that right? Yes. Well, it's projected in front of your face, in a sense. But yeah, but it's projected individually, so yes. it's not like we all congregate. So being in the lounge is almost irrelevant, right? This will have to be released individually. It's not a it's not a it's not a theatrical release. Am no, I right unless you try to do it that way, in which in which case you could you could basically say you have to come and get it. 
but, but then it would be a, a new infrastructure to 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 create that. Right. All right. Um, they had screening rooms for Jesus, and it was just people sitting in comfortable chairs, all yeah. by themselves, <laughs> looking <laughs> so. around, looking around them, right, right? Just pivoting in their chair, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to go on record saying that it will ultimately fail, but I think it's got some challenges uh, against it. Um, you know, I, I wonder if this will be. You know, you think about the story of the Bible being told through the ages, going from an oral to a written to a to a mass produced to a theatrical, you know, silent movie through all of these uh, iterations. If this is the next way that the 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 story of the Bible gets told, I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing that opens up the narrative to um, a, a, a lot of a lot of people. But actually, now that I've said that, uh, it's not a lot of people at the moment because because virtual reality is 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 far from being um, a completely easy, perfect, seamless um, medium. Uh, so I think we're a ways away from it being um, any sort of mass appeal. But is this a step? I think it's absolutely a step. I'm just not sure what it's a step to or or uh, away from. Right. And um, this film will probably ultimately get seen by more people at, in some form of regular 2D um, watch-it-head-on version because, you know, who's going to have access to this? And they'll have to create, if they want people to see it and make some of their money back, they're going to have to have some weird edited version where you look straight ahead. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, totally. So um, I, I just, because gaming has gotten so big with virtual reality, I just, I see this coming. I just don't know how yet. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. We're, we're really insightful in this one, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, we're just going to have to see. But it's going to be an interesting fall. Fall is on its way. Um, we'll, we'll get back to seeing films that are, have much bigger cachet hitting the um, movie theaters. We will see if some of these new shows make it um, just in the next couple of weeks. Of course, football will be back. And will it be even bigger? Has it not reached the ceiling yet? Or will we finally reach the ceiling in football? We'll be checking those things out and everything else in the world of entertainment for your enjoyment. So for Tom, I'm Jeff. Have a great day.